Hello everybody, I'm your host, Guillaume Cauchois, and this is a new episode of Tapis Rouge. Our shout-out of the day goes to Charlotte O'Sullivan, the beautiful hair-hanging artist from Echo, who was the first one to find out our guest today, Eric Bates. Eric is one of these artists, I would dare to say that he's the goat of cigar box juggling. He had an incredibly successful career, creating shows with the Seven Fingers, working many times with the special event department of Cirque du Soleil, and even creating two shows of his own. Eric is also a filmmaker, a writer. I mean, he's just an incredible creator. I thought it would be interesting to talk to him about his adventures performing around the globe and how he perceives creations through all his different outlets. So here he is, the fantastic Eric. Bates. Eric, welcome to Tapis Rouge. Thanks for having me, man. Love your show. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm super excited. Yeah, totally. You've done so much in your career. You've been creating shows, film like you're filming a movie. But before we get into all of your talents, can you take us from the very beginning? How did you first start your circus journey? Sure. Well, I grew up in Vermont in the U.S. Um, and what's cool about Vermont is that there's a youth circus called Circus Smirkus that's really well known for anyone that knows the youth circus scene. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to have that. And they actually have uh, a touring show. Uh, but before that, they have a residency program where they send circus coaches to elementary schools and basically replace the gym class for two weeks. So I got to learn how to juggle when I was, you know, I don't even remember. I was juggling torches by the time I was 12, you know, that's <laughs> great. Um, and then I just worked my way up through that. They had a circus camp and then they had a, a, an actual touring show where during the summer break of your high school, you do maybe 40 shows around New England, setting up, well, not really helping set up the tent, but partially hel- helping setting up the tent and, you know, going around two shows a day and, and the whole circus life. So that was really how I got started. So between the moment you get your first circus class as a replacement of gym class and the moment when you start doing touring in like during the summer, did you like start to go train more often at Circus Mercus? Like how did your training schedule kind of evolved? Yeah, I mean, at that point I was under 15. So it wasn't like I had a training schedule in a formal sense. I just loved to juggle and, and every birthday I'd ask for, you know, a new juggling prop for my birthday. And I got the guard boxes when I was 12, but I also got, you know, Diablos and clubs and, and balls and light up balls and, you know, all the, all the stuff you just want to try it <laughs> out when you're little. And I lived in Vermont where it's not like a big city. You're just out in the woods. So I was either skiing or, or hiking or in my backyard juggling. And I, I just did as much as possible. And I had really supportive parents that would bring me to uh, juggling clubs, which were usually very far away, mm-hmm. or, uh, or send me to circus camp in the summer. And you were doing acrobatic ski at the moment already? Um, again, not formally, I, but I did uh, trick skiing, you know, like uh, hitting jumps and rails and uh, just flips and spins, grabs. <laughs> so like you had your like circus touch through juggling and already kind of touching acrobatics with the skiing stuff. Yeah, for sure. I always love doing tricks and and jumping off bridges and, you know, all just the young, young stuff you do. <laughs> and when did things start to get more serious training wise? And when you start thinking like, okay, circus is, is what I want to do. Yeah. So I mean, in circus smirkus, you're already pretty serious. There's kids juggling nine balls on stage there that are under 18. Oh, okay. um, yeah, <laughs> we would be doing pushups at night and, you know, doing whatever we could to, to improve during that time. But then after that ended, I thought kind of smart kids go to college. Um, and I was pretty decent in high school. So I applied to McGill uh, in Montreal mm-hmm. and ended up getting in. And part of that decision was because there was French and I, I spoke French. I like that. But also a lot of my friends were at the circus school and circus was definitely still on my radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did two years of, of business school. And my friends were like, Eric, you don't want to manage a circus. You want to be in a circus. Like you're still juggling. I'm still tumbling three days a week at, at an open gym. You know, I was still stretching and training. Um, and I, I just started going to more of their shows, more of their parties, and just, you know, really liking that community and, and seeing that as a lifestyle that I wanted to live. So I prepared for 
however many months to get ready for the auditions and I auditioned for the National National Circus School in Montreal and I got in and and I never looked back. I was like, this is the right decision as soon as I stepped foot in there. So that's crazy. You actually were in Montreal doing business school for two years. Like you, you, you thought like, no, like I, I'm going to go do business school and then the circus kept pulling you in. Yeah. That sounds really responsible, but what I was doing <laughs> was juggling and skiing and, you know, having big parties and, and, you know, also making my grades and stuff, but, uh, you know, just, just living the, the leaving home for the first time life, you know? Yeah. And what did your family think when you decided to stop going to business school and audition for the National Circus School of Montreal? They were super supportive. I think I was more worried about what they would think than they were actually worried. And oh. I actually, you know, I got accepted into the school and I got a letter from McGill that said, you can come back whenever your credits will stay valid. Um, and I think that was reassuring to them, but you know, I think they always wanted me to live my life and um, in whatever form that that meant for me. So I was, I was really lucky to have that. That's it's not everyone that has that supportive uh, community and um, it really gives you a lot of space to, to take risks. Yeah, for sure. And Did it feel also like more safe for you to know that you could go back to university if you wanted to? Or you knew for sure like this circus is what I'm going to do and doesn't matter? Yeah, like I said, as soon as I stepped foot into the circus school, I was like, this is the spot for me. Because I'd been in these big lectures, you know, like a two to 400 seat lecture hall with someone talking. And it's super expensive going to college. And then you go to circus school and I had immediate one-on-one -on -one coaching. Mm -hmm. This is five days a week, you know, yeah. and then the biggest class you're ever going to have is maybe 10 people in a, a an acrobatics class or something. Mm -hmm. And I could just see, I was like, what am I doing learning, you know, macroeconomics or something. And with circus school, everything I learned, I was like, I can put this into a show. I'd learn a backflip, backflips going in the show. Like it, it just made sense to me, you know, and, and I liked the people and, and the energy and yeah, it just felt right. So you spent three years at ENC? Yep. Three years at ENC. I graduated in 2011. Um, and in the beginning, I was uh, accepted as a juggler, as a mm -hmm. cigar box juggler, which was my main discipline. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I started immediately working the first week with Tristan, uh, Tristan Nielsen, who was a friend from Circus Smirkus. Mm -hmm. uh, and we started doing bunking together and then eventually met Alex and started doing Russian bar together. And that became our second discipline that we kind of got equally well known for. Yeah, absolutely. You guys started working together in Russian bar right off the bat, beginning of first year. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, within three months of, of getting there, we started doing Russian bar. There was a kind of an open bonking class that everyone was invited to, mm -hmm. uh, kind of columns, bonking, you know, group acrobatics, mm -hmm. take a lot of people. And uh, at one point, we saw Devin and Colin, these two hoop divers, mm -hmm. uh, were picking up the Russian bar and starting to throw Alex around. And we were like, geez, these guys are good at everything. You know, they do giant <laughs> pole and hoop, teeterboard. We we're like, they can't be like the best bases too. <laughs> so we ran over there and we were like, we got to start learning this. Uh, which was awesome. Then we went on to do three years with the Seven Fingers uh, in sequence eight with them and, and became good friends with them. So it wasn't like competitive, you know? We were no, for sure. Everyone's so good at everything uh, at the circus school. Yeah. And so you, you do your three years, you major in cigar box. Did you start working with the Seven Fingers right away after circus school ended, after graduating? Before. Oh, yeah. I think the main advantage of, of going to a place like Montreal is you're just exposed to all these different companies. And so from the first year summer break, we got hired by the Seven Fingers to work uh, in a project they had in the Old Port where we were doing all of our acts. Um, and then the second year, second year we did Shawinigan. And then the third year, they hired us for a cabaret, and they'd already said, hey, we want to take the eight of you to do to make what became Sequence 8. Is it a pretty standard way of working for Seven Fingers to like kind of find their people during circus school and trying to like create groups right away so that when they graduate, they already have a strong group of people who know how to work together and everything? Yeah, I don't want to speak for them, but it, it certainly looks that way. Um, they look at, they keep an eye on who's in the circus school. For example, Gypsy Snyder directed uh, the end of the year show in 2009 that I ended up getting thrown into because uh, someone got injured for bonking. Mm -hmm. And then Shana directed this my second year show. Um, so, you know, they, they just keep an eye on, on who's coming out there, uh, who's good, who they like to work with. And then they try to snatch them up for their creations. 
Yeah. And so you started a creation with all the friends from your class. And how was that creation process like? I mean, it was absolutely the Seven Fingers show. Shayna and Seb directed it. And so they were really in charge of the whole thing. But I think in my experience with the Seven Fingers, they really promote um, improvisation-based creation. So they didn't have a show written out at all. They wanted to, to find it within ourselves. Sometimes they might have more of an idea beforehand. Um, but this one was really relationship-based uh, and just seeing how we interacted with each other. And uh, so we did a lot of improvisation, a lot of trying stuff out. And then slowly but surely, um, they take the bits they like and they say, okay, let's do it again. Um, but we really like that moment where Max is on the trapeze and you all reach up like a, a mob to grab him and suck him in. And then they take more and more pieces from different improvisations. And we try to keep reproducing until they're close enough that they eventually choreograph. Um, but it's a lot of work uh, for them. And then, but I think they're very good to, uh, at bringing it all together and really making something cohesive uh, from a choreography perspective and from a, a humor perspective and from a high quality circus. Yeah, definitely. Were they open to your proposition? Like if you guys are like, hey, like I have this idea, can we try it out? Or like, oh, I would love to do this element or this image in the show. Yeah, of course. I think they ask us, what can we bring? What do we like to do? What, who is us? You know, they want us to be us on stage. They're not trying to turn us into someone else or into some wacky character. Mm -hmm. For sure, it's still them directing. You know, it's not like just because Eric wants to juggle uh, whatever microwaves on stage that it's going to happen. Um, but uh, they were definitely open to us bringing stuff and, and seeing if there's a place for it in the show. You had a good experience working with them and creating the show with them. I had a great experience. Yeah, I've done maybe five, six shows with them. Did Queen of the Night, Vice and Virtue, Summer Cabarets, the creation for water uh, for elephants that's coming out soon for dual reality on the ships. Um, yeah, I, I really like working with them. And I think graduating circus school, you think you're one place and then you work with a company like that and see how they create and their passion for everything. And it really brings you to a next level. That was really nice to have right out of school because it stayed with me the rest of my career. Did you stick with the same people all through all the creation that you did? Yeah. So Tristan, Alex, and I have been working together since 2009, since we met in school. Um, and do, I would say we did 85% of our gigs together over the last 10 years. Um, because, you know, if someone wants Russian bar, hey, we have boxes, we have hoop, we have hand to hand, and we'd, we'd sell all our other things. And it was just better for us uh, financially, but also more interesting, because we wanted to, to do the things we were good at. So we really worked hard to stay together. And I think that's what you have to do if you want to keep a team together is, you know, you got to put the team first. And uh, luckily, all three of us were on the same page for prioritizing, doing shows and, and romping around the world as much as possible mm -hmm. for, for as long as we have. In the first place, you're a solo artist. You're incredible cigar box jugglers. But you say like it's the team comes first. How did you manage that thing of going from being a solo artist to really putting the team and the group first? You know, I've, I've been thinking about that more as I grow and, and get older and come to understand myself better that I really just love be, being surrounded by a talented team. Um, like for example, when I did Cirque de Demain, it was really important to me to like stand alone in the ring, you know, mm -hmm. and, and be this, this is on me and blah, blah, blah. um, instead of doing the sequence eight act, for example, mm -hmm. which, uh, Shana would have loved mm -hmm. to do. And in retrospect, you know, that was one of my favorite acts of all time. And I'm kind of sad I didn't do it because I think since then I always incorporate people into my acts. because I think it just elevates the act. I just think it's a more interesting thing to watch yeah. than just me on stage alone. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, I guess I try to incorporate people whenever possible. Um, and that's a really fun aspect to the job that, uh, that I don't try to fight. Hmm. It's true that your act in sequence eight was so amazing with all the other artists, like grabbing the boxes and passing you in. It was so great. Yeah, and we were doing that research since, uh, since school, you know, in, in the early school shows, or I would do stuff with other jugglers and, and see what we could find together just so I had that material and because it was something I hadn't seen before. Like I hadn't seen a lot of cigar boxes before. And that's what was interesting about mm -hmm. boxes was that the was uncharted mm -hmm. waters, but also boxes with other people was especially uncharted. Yeah. So yeah, seeing as just, just doing yeah. new things, you know, and seeing what's interesting. What do I find cool? And what would I want to see if I was watching? As a juggler and cigar box juggler, who were and are your inspirations? I mean, the, the first name that comes to mind is Jimmy Gonzalez for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, he, he was in first year when I was in second or third mm -hmm. year. 
and, and just right away, you know, just he had the the full package of the technical tricks and the movement, which is something I always loved. You know, I don't like just sight swaps, mm-hmm. for yeah. example. I like, uh, you know, just just standing in one place doing crazy patterns. I really love how the it becomes a dance with the objects and controlling the objects while you're also so free to move is is one of my favorite mm-hmm. styles. Um, you know, at one point, Steven Ragatz uh, back in the day. Uh, he was a Cirque du Soleil artist, I think on Kidam, mm-hmm. uh, that had a really beautiful, really precise act, uh, less flowy like Jimmy, mm-hmm. but but really precise. Um, you know, Kyle Driggs was another guy coming out of school at the same time, same year as Jimmy. Um, he does a club and umbrella mm-hmm. juggling. Uh, it's also very poised, uh, different from Jimmy, but another style that I really appreciate. They really cared about the quality of the movement. Mm-hmm. So I'd say those were a couple of people that I looked up to or, you know, were inspired mm. by. But I take inspiration from everywhere, man. You know, I like watching Rodney Mullen on skateboarding. <laughs> I like watching. Did you watch a documentary about Tony Hawk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Till the wheels fall. Yeah, so good, right? So good. But but I think it's the best part of training in a space like that is you're just surrounded by these incredibly talented people that aren't doing the discipline you're doing. So you see some guy doing a one-arm handstand. You see someone doing a unicycle trick. And so it's not like I'm copying them because I can't copy them. I'm doing boxes, but I can take inspiration from them and use it into the thing I'm doing, whether it's a style of movement or an energy or a, you know, a way that they hold the unicycle on their yeah. foot. And I feel like that's one of the most fun parts of creativity is, is taking the, the different elements and adding them to your own sauce. Yeah. You know? Although I do remember seeing you doing a one arm turn on the canes. You saw it. <laughs> with, with your big Sasquatch body it was amazing. <laughs> That's my claim to fame, man. I turned to one arm yeah. one time. I'm sure the second half was like wrapped hard, you know? But you did it. Your full turn back to two hands. I don't know how that happened. The, the atoms <laughs> aligned the one possible combination, you know? And um, I think what's also super cool with your career is that you had a very close relationship with Cirque du Soleil, but you are working with a very specific department. So do you want to talk to us a little bit about that and how you get first approach by Cirque? Yeah, sure. So we have done a lot. We, whenever I say we, I'm referring to Barco. Mm-hmm. I'm referring to me, Tristan, for the mm-hmm. most part. Um, we have done a lot of events with Cirque du Soleil. We never wanted to do a, a touring show, like a two, three-year mm-hmm. contract uh, like you. Um, I think one, because we just didn't want to wear makeup for that long. <laughs> Fair enough. But also, we just love living different experiences and, and a long-term contract, especially after the Seven Fingers, we, we were less interested in signing again for a long period, uh, which was great, though, because it let us do a lot of different roles. So we did uh, the Trois-Rivières show, Tout est Cartier, which was like an outdoor show, a tribute to Charlebois. Mm-hmm. We did a show in Malta called Vittori. Um, so these are both like one-month sort of runs of shows. But we also did a lot of events. We did like a $70 million wedding in India. We performed for the presidents at G7. We did- oh, yeah. How was that to perform for the, the G7? <laughs> oh, man. It was crazy. You know, they tell you you're going to come perform for the world's leaders. You, It's a prick. <laughs> and it, it, <laughs> so it's out in the woods. Like Charlevoix, where it took place, is just out in the boonies. And you're just driving, you know, and as, as you go further and further, deeper and deeper, suddenly you see this big, like, you know, 10, 15 foot tall metal fence that pops up that's running for miles. Yeah. And you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, something is happening here. And then it's just the whole security rigmarole, like you're going through the checkpoints, they're checking the, bo- the bus for bombs. Um, there's like massive helicopters roaring over all the time. It was really something. And then we get to the site and we find out we're doing it on this little like outdoor patio behind us, maybe five feet behind us is a a low stone wall with like a steep drop off behind it. In front of us is a campfire bonfire with seven benches. And it's just going to be the seven world leaders and their significant others. And that's it. And that's it sitting around the bonfire. And that's our audience. Guys. Oh my God, that's crazy. Plus snipers on the roof. Snipers on the rooftops. Good old snipers. <laughs> like as we're finally about to do the show, you know, your nerves are already jacked. How do you guys feel when you, you realize like, oh, like that's, that's what we're going to do? Well, you know, we were afraid if, if we accidentally threw <laughs> Alex into the crowd, we were going to get shot, you know? <laughs> 
literally performing with guns to our heads here. <laughs> yeah, so definitely very stressed. And I think maybe the first thing we did was we did a, you know, like a straight jump or a, or a split jump, one of our easiest tricks. And it goes a little bit sideways and we rush to the side. I do. <laughs> Like, this is it. It's over. We're going to fry her immediately. Oh, my God. Was it just two guys performing? So, no, they had maybe five acts. Yeah, they had a, a hoop dancer. They had um, the fire spinner. Yeah, if I'm going to agree. I'd... Yeah, uh, he's he's just such a nice person. Mm. Irina doing handstands and us. Yeah, But, I mean, we were outside at night with maybe two lights. <laughs> it was maybe some of the worst conditions we've ever had, you know? It's like the most stressful gig. Exactly. It's like worst condition, but highest pressure. Yeah, we had um we had Mars um yeah doing the backstage and she was awesome for just having a very cool energy and keeping everyone mm -hmm. chill, which I think was really important because if it had been someone that was high pressure, it would not have helped. Yes. Did the world leaders clap at the end of your act? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were all a very respectful audience as they drank their s'mores flavored cocktails, you know, like Justin Trudeau's idea of a good time. Um, and actually afterwards we actually got to meet them all they like lined up and uh and came and shook hands with all of us wow um which was pretty exciting yeah just, for sure pretty funny you know they're just people at the same time you're just oh, cool i was like running france <laughs> yeah exactly so man that's crazy like going home at night after that you must go to bed and just think like wow what did just happen yeah totally totally it was a very surreal experience but also funny like you have you have five minutes to talk to these people and Like, what can you say? You, you can't say anything that's going to, you know, change the course of world history or something. No, you, yeah. Hey, what's up? How, how's it going? It's like pretty small talk. I think Alex was like fighting for the arts in, in Canada. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I don't think he's going to like write a new budget or something. But oh, for sure. And um, the show in Malta is like a one month show. But how long is the creation for that? And how's the whole creative process? Because it's like a short event but it's not a one night thing it's like still a full show that you have to put out yes so those those sort of short run shows usually about a month of shows will take a month to two months of creation i would guess about a month month and a half mm -hmm. uh, so it's pretty intense you know they they know where they're going before you get there it's mm -hmm. not not like exploring like the seven fingers did mm -hmm. where had maybe five months to put it together this was really They had a very precise idea of the outcome that they wanted. And that was actually a really organized team. It was uh, Genevieve Dorian Coupal uh, directing. But... Yeah, she's my boss at the moment. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's very organized. That was one of the most organized creations I've ever been on. Everything was so tight. Like we still did long hours and stuff, but, you know, maybe is the effect of having a, a dance choreographer leading it yeah. and dance is just a little less loosey-goosey mm, than yeah, circus. Exactly. Five, six, seven, eight. Everything. Yeah, five, six, seven, eight, all the time. Four <laughs> <laughs> moves, what they call it. Yes. But actually, you know, that thing I found super interesting because on that show with her, it was the first time also that I worked with strictly people from dance. And at the very beginning, I was kind of reticent to count everything like acrobatically. But then I was just like, you know, I'm just going to give it a fair try. I'm, it's a new way of working, but like I, I want to give it a chance. And I actually found it super helpful to have to create that like mental grid that the whole time I am on stage for the act and I can conceptualize in my mind everything is like this happens there this happens there this happens there where before I was more following the music and I was like maybe doing a movement on that one cue but there I know like I can anticipate everything and I found that there is a comfort and like a feeling of like control so I don't know what you what do you feel about that My immediate reaction is that as a juggler, it's very stressful oh. to have to think about music. Yeah. I mean, I'm always thinking about music. I want to be musical in the way that I juggle. Mm -hmm. uh, but usually how I'll build acts is that I have certain, you know, punches in the music or, mm -hmm. or a pause points. Usually I'll, I'll land a big trick on this obvious, you know, crescendo on the music. Mm -hmm. Many people probably. <laughs> but if you drop or something, suddenly you're like chasing the music or thinking, do I have time yeah. to do this? I do that. And whenever those thoughts start in your head, that's where you, you drop yeah, again. Exactly. You're preoccupied with something else. Oh, yeah. uh, so the idea of, you know, making an act all the way down to specific counts for my brain uh, doesn't work very well. Mm -hmm. But I know there are people that do it. And, and that's awesome. You know, I, I love it. But for me, it doesn't uh, it doesn't work. And also, I I kind of oscillate between wanting something very precise like that and wanting 
much more flexibility. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because I want to be able to listen to the audience and to play. And if you build your whole act to the, to the very second, and then you, you know, you hear something, the audience isn't reacting like you expected in the room. Maybe they clap for longer. Maybe they, they laugh. I want to have that space to react to them. Mm, yeah. This is very true. And on something that's counted from top to end, mm. whether the audience react or not, your act is the same. Actually, recently we were uh, we were in Helsinki on this big opera, hundred people on stage, you know, like thirty wow. chorus members, opera singers, dancers, a full orchestra behind us. Crazy. And so, of course, like that, that orchestra isn't stopping; they're not going to mm. wait. The conductor could slow down or speed mm. up a little bit, but generally it was going. But what was nice about that music was it wasn't as full as uh you know a pre-recorded track where every beat there's always a, a drum going or something mm -hmm. there was space to breathe and i could really hear the audience and and notice something like at one point i i was using all the dancers in my act all the other circus artists as i like to do now like we talked mm -hmm. about and at one point i i do a, a barrel or something and i get close to this other dancer that's kneeling mm -hmm. on the ground to hand me a box and i kept hearing this you know little chuckle in the audience and i was like what is that And I was like, Katy, what are you doing at that moment? And she's like, oh, well, you're kind of close. So I'm kind of pulling back, making a little face, you know? And I was like, whatever it is, like, that's perfect. Like, we can, let's keep that, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, let's use it. It's actually a moment that is naturally happening. And if you pay attention, you can hear that in the audience and, and emphasize it and make your act just a little bit mm -hmm. better. You can kind of predict and, and emphasize those moments night after night and improve your act. And I love that when you're not too tied to, to counts and stuff for that reason. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And um, you mentioned at the beginning you did a crazy $70 million wedding in India with Cirque as well. Yeah. Just someone hired Cirque du Soleil to play at their wedding. Yeah, someone hired Cirque du Soleil to play at their wedding. <laughs> so I think it was uh, I think it was the guy that owned all of the, the power, all the electricity in Calcutta. You know, he owned like India's cricket team. Okay. So this was just a, a massive amount of wealth. And uh To put it in perspective, he had Cirque du Soleil on the first day of the wedding. It's a week-long affair, apparently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the second day was Little Wayne or Little Bow Wow or Little <laughs> oh or whoever it was. You know, just day after day, just these crazy things. But wow. when we showed up there, when we showed up to the, the fairgrounds or, or whatever it was, it was like an empty soccer field, there was nothing. It was just an empty lot. And we were like, okay, but where's the... Where's the $70 million show happening? <laughs> four days. <laughs> like, four, just, four days before it was nothing. Four days before we arrived, there was, wow. there was nothing. There was maybe a, a temporary loge yeah. and about 200 workers just roaming around with bamboo poles and, and plywood <laughs> and, you know, just in bare feet, welding with no glasses. <laughs> like, oh my God. Safety regulation. What? What do you? What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, no, that's that's the craziest part about India is just the the wealth gap is on display. People, you know, erect their shanty towns against the mansions. Like there was people sleeping under the stage in hammocks and stuff for the entire time they were working. Really? And at one point, wow. we were, I think we were the day before, and I was talking to the guy that was organizing the whole building. He was like the local fixer or producer or whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, what what happens if it's not ready? And he's like, oh. It'll be ready. We'll just bring in more guys. And sure enough, the day of the show that, so to put this in perspective, they erected a two tier um, pavilion. So maybe 50, 60 different restaurants from around the world over, over two stages, one above the other, not two stages, two What? semicircles. And then below that was the seating area facing the stage. And then there's a whole nother wedding tent off to the side for the, the official banquet. And they had, a, a bear that was you know 25 feet tall made out of flowers from germany just for decorations and stuff so they they put all this together and as the guests are walking in on the day they're wheeling out the paint carts from the back like the same the, moment the paint was just just finished the paint was wet on the walls but it was done as they walked in oh my God. it was it's surreal insane. to watch it's insanity it's crazy yeah. so it was yeah. done on the day of It was done and we did the wow. show and it went great. We, we were actually two Russian bar teams. We did a synchro Russian bar act and uh, the other, the other Russian bar flyer actually got deli belly the day of the show. Ooh. She was just laying on the ground, unable to move. And they sent in a doctor. They gave her, you know, just all the pills in the bag, mm -hmm. but finally she up and she did the show, but she, she was passed out for the entire day. 
got up, did all of her double backs, all of her everything. Oh, it, it was really impressive. Yeah. Wow. How was the creative process for that? Like he's kind of sick, just told us, just come up, do your act and, and leave. Or like, did you got like a small creation process? Yeah. So I would say the more, uh, the faster the, the show. So if it's just one show versus 30 shows versus three years, the shorter the creation process, generally, the more tight it's going to be, the more you're coming in with an act pretty much prepared. They'll usually send you the music beforehand. In this case, we had to work with the other flyers to figure out what tricks we could do with the other team to see what we could do synchro, what we would alternate, how we would build that. Uh, but you pretty much arrive knowing what's happening and you're only going to do one or two specific things. So we did just Russian bar and then maybe a group dance at the end. Um, so an event like that is, is much more prepared in advance and, and much more specific to what your specialty is rather than finding moments with the whole cast. Our partner in this episode is Circus Talk, the online carrier marketplace for circus and the performing arts. Circus Talk is the new thing that is great for our international circus community. It is an amazing information resource, bringing news, events, and industry trends to us, professionals working in the field. What also makes Circus Talks amazing is their first online casting platform that connects talents and talent seekers in circus and performing arts. If you're a talent seeker, you can finally post jobs and auditions in a professional and transparent way instead of using social media accounts. There are already over 28,000 artist profiles on Circus Talk that talent seekers can search while talents can find jobs and apply to them via the Circus Talk platform. You can get your first month free on both Circus Talk Talent and Talent Seeker Pro membership by using the promo code Tapirouge in one word. So go to circustalk.com, sign up to Pro and use the code Tapirouge to find your spotlight with our partner, Circus Talk. All right, guys, a little side story now. Back in 2014, I hurt my back training backstage before a show. The pain was so intense, I couldn't put my socks on, sit for more than two minutes, and obviously, it took me out of the show for quite some time. I followed a strict core rehabilitation program, and after six weeks, I got back on stage. But I kept having recurring pain. So I started to educate myself about core anatomy, rehab training, and pain science. I wanted to understand why am I doing all these exercises if the pain keeps coming back. The more I was learning, the more I understood I had to change. I started switching exercises, tweak some techniques and executions, and also completely changed my perception of pain. After a couple of weeks, on top of reducing considerably my pain level, I was feeling so much stronger, which increased my confidence to move and better perform on stage. My life overall was so much better. Finally, I was pain-free and not scared to hurt my back again. I had a lot of artists and athlete friends who saw that happening and asked me, hey, what did you do for your back? And I thought, I could put it all out in a clear and clean way instead of always pulling random videos on YouTube and giving quick guidance. So I reached out to all the best doctors, physiotherapists, and performance medicine specialists whom I met touring and asked them to help me develop Protocol Cut to the Core. Protocol Cut to the Core is the first rehab and strengthening protocol for back or hip pain that also includes a comprehensive course in core anatomy, biomechanics, and pain science. It is approved by doctors, physios, and performance medicine specialists from five different countries. If you are suffering from acute or persistent back or hip pain, you can find protocol Cut to the Core on our website at cuttothecorefitness.com. When movement is an issue, movement is the solution. And now, let's get back to the show. It seems that with everything that you're saying that you've created so much like starting from the high school time with circus Mercus, like creating the shows and touring during the summer 
being picked out to save the show in your after your first year at Circus Gold and right away sequence eight and in all these Cirque du Soleil events, like you had a lot of experience just creating and creating and creating shows after shows after shows. Yeah, I think one of the qualities that I love about uh, Alex and Tristan, my, the other guys in Cirque Barcode, um, is that we just are so curious and so hungry about everything. You know, we've done street shows, we've done uh, the, these giant productions, we've done little cabarets, we've done contemporary shows. Mm-hmm. And eventually we hit a point in our career where we decided we want to make our own show. We want to see what we have to say and, and what that process looks like. Mm-hmm. And so that- to make our first show sweat and ink yeah how is that like how do you first start to make a show like from the moment you're like sit around at the table at the bar with a beer and you say let's do it let's make our own show yeah pretty much it, it kind of starts that way you're talking oh what would that look like oh does anyone have any ideas do we have stuff we want to talk about on stage that's important to us and, and you're like ah, oh, but how does that how does that work you know like how do you just start making a show and I think what I quickly realized was that we were so busy. We were just constantly doing other people's shows. It's really hard to turn down other contracts. It's hard to turn down the money. It's hard to turn down, you know, the excitement of, of working with other people. And I was like, if this is going to happen, we're going to need to get a grant or a way to, to kind of financially justify not doing other shows. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a grant or, and then we uh, obviously wrote it together, the three of us, to, to make sure it said what we wanted to say. Uh, and we submitted and we ended up getting a creation grant from CALC, the Conseil des Arts et Lettres de Quebec. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of the impetus where we're like, okay, we're actually doing this thing. And we went into creation for the first time. Wow. And how was that process of creation? Because at that point, you create on your own for yourselves. And before, even though you did countless creation, it was always like a mandate from the company or the director or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We had done certain demand twice. You know, we had done all of these giant productions. We thought we were like very overqualified to be doing this. We're like, cut out the middleman. We're going to make our own show here. And it was such a slap in the face, man. It was such a wake up call. I want to cut you really quickly because I want to highlight that, that you actually went to Cirque du Demain twice in two disciplines and got medals twice in two disciplines. Yeah. That's pretty badass. And yeah, I'm not mistaking the year you went with Russian Bar, Tristan and his partner also competed in hand to hand and they also got two medals the same year. Yeah, Tristan also did hand to hand the same year we did Russian Bar and got uh yeah, bronze medal in hand to hand and, and a silver medal in audience choice with the Russian Bar. So both of you guys got two medals in two disciplines. Yeah. Yeah, we we like doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> no, but this is crazy. Like honestly, like I remember seeing this, like watching the live thing, and then seeing the result and being like, "What?" Yeah, it's not surprising if you know Tristan because he's good at all of the porting disciplines yeah. and it loves doing creative stuff and, and doing it differently. Like if you watch their hand to hand act, it doesn't look like anyone else's hand to hand act. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight that because you try to like make it slip under the radar like this, but I was like, no, no, no. We have to say this clearly, like you guys are badasses who like went to one of the most important circus festival in the world and in two different disciplines and got medals twice. So it's amazing. And you guys can be super proud of this because it's a big deal. You know, it's not a lot of people who did that. Well, that's, that's nice coming from you because you were at the first festival too and you guys crushed it. Your act was gorgeous. Thank you. But, you know, one time. <laughs> well... You do it right, you don't need to do it twice, you know? <laughs> so going back to the sweat and ink, your first show, you think you guys are going to nail it. We don't need anyone. We can just do it on our own. Right. And then, and then you get into the empty room and you're like, oh my goodness, what are we doing here? And, and what you discover immediately is that you're not only creating new material, you're creating the process for how your team creates material. So maybe with the seven fingers, they usually have this improv based approach. They have an, you know, they, they kind of know their system or where they're going, or mm-hmm. even if they don't, is that's their problem, you know, mm-hmm. they're in charge yeah. of it. And when it's you guys, you're like, okay, are we, are we improvising? Are we going to set rules? Are we going to, um, you know, just kind of make it up as we go? Are we going to come in with a big plan? And, and so you're just constantly thinking about, how do we organize all of this? There's just so much more going on when you're in charge of a creation. You really take it for granted when you're on other people's shows of just how little you have to do as an artist and you're still like the hero and everyone's 
just so happy and amazed by your art. And they've been working for like eight months behind the scenes to, to even get you there in the first place. Yeah. It's very humbling. And you become a much better artist on other people's shows when you try to make your own thing. Cause you're just so much more appreciative of how much work other people are doing that you don't see. Yeah, for sure. And how long did it take for you to, before you step foot on stage the first time? Let's see, we had that first, um, that first block of creation. And actually, during that, we were kind of selling the show slash looking for any support we could get at the, uh, at the MIC, Marche International Contemporaire this year. Um, and so we were looking for residency space. We were looking for people that wanted to take our show eventually. We were just anything we could get. And um, the, the hand-to-hand festival at the Fringe Arts Theater in Philadelphia mm-hmm. said, yeah, I mean, come on down. Can you guys have a show by July or whatever it was? Mm-hmm. And we said, yep. And so we, I think we eventually presented it as a work in progress, but we, we did uh, two or three shows uh, sold out there, but really we, we were still just throwing it together. I mean, we'd mm-hmm. done a month or so of creation, maybe a month and a half too. And then they gave us their theater for a week or two, which was mm-hmm. really incredible. So we had time to do lights. We had time to paint our set. We had to paint on the wall, still wet when you did the first show. Yeah, but so <laughs> I think we did a, we did a run through at the morning, you know, and my parents were there, of course, they came down from Vermont. And I think my dad was like, nice, just treat it like an improv. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then finally, it was really good. You know, you, you get an audience yeah. looking at it. And it, it all makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. You're just doubting yourself in an empty room. Yeah. Um, but sure. that was the, the first thing we did. And then, you know, we still weren't happy with it. We were like, okay, that was definitely a rough draft. We want to keep pushing it. And so we actually went to uh, Cirque La Putica in Yatka 78 in mm-hmm. the Czech Republic, um, where we got another month of creation and then officially opened the show in Europe so we could invite uh, European producers and, uh, you know, had custom costumes made, redid the set, redid the lights, did, a, did an official production phase, not mm-hmm. just but production and also reworked the acts and, and everything while we were in it. Nice. So total from the first day of creation and from the first show after that whole production phase, how many months? Jeez, I think um, maybe a year and a half. And then we went to open the show. We were supposed to open at um, Festival Up in, mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. Belgium. And the day before COVID hits, Literally the day before, we'd already loaded into another theater. We were going to do, you know, like get the rust off the day before we went to Festival Up. We uh-huh. loaded it. We were supposed to perform that night. And then they were closing the borders everywhere. And we said, you know, our, our two technicians both had kids in, in countries they didn't have status in. Uh-huh. They France, but they weren't French, for example. And we were like, you guys have to get on a plane tonight, basically. And we sent everyone home then or the next morning. I flew out. I flew back to the U.S., I think Tristan ended up getting stuck in Switzerland for like a month for weeks to a month or something, which honestly great spot to get stuck for COVID because you're yes, just exactly. mountains far away from everyone in the like, beautiful country. Uh, yes, for sure. And so then, yeah, then we eventually got to play it, you know, a year or so after that, whenever it started uh, opening up again. Mm-hmm. And uh, since then we've, been playing all around the world. We played at the Toe. We played in Paris at the Le Montfort for a month. Mm-hmm. We played at Circo Prisoy in Madrid. Um, and then just all over uh, France and Belgium and Switzerland. Wow, it's amazing. Again, you put yourselves to work and you nail it. It's amazing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we nailed it, I'll be honest. <laughs> but, you know, there is the judgment of like the quality of the work that you can put on yourself and stuff. But objectively, you, you wanted to make a show together and you put in the work. You went through the whole process. The show had an international life. You perform in different countries in fairly known theaters. Like it happened. What you wanted to accomplish happened. And that is valuable. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, at one point we were playing at the Montfort and there's always things you want to improve and, and so on and so forth. But Tristan was like, look, we made a show that's playing for 15 shows in Paris to sold out crowds. Like this is, this is pretty darn cool. It's amazing, dude. Yeah. And I think, yeah like you said, you, you might always question the artistic integrity of your work or, or um, you know, or, or you always just want to do something different. If it's really funny, you want to do something serious and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, that's, that's the show that that show became. And, uh, and we were just so proud to, to bring it around the world and, and have that be 
an experience that we got to live after a career of uh, making shows for other people and, and doing a lot of events and wanting to do a show because as kids, we were inspired by shows, mm. you know, it wasn't like some sweet Instagram video I saw that made me want to be a circus artist. It was a mm -hmm. show that touched yeah. me in a, a live theater, you know? Yes, true. Do you have a new, a new creation coming out pretty soon? Your first book about creation. Did you start working on that project during the same time that you were creating the show when you realized like, oh, like creating a show is not what I thought. Maybe I should document the whole process or like record what's going on because maybe that can be a cool topic for a book. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. I think um, we did that first round of creation with Sweat and Ink and it was actually just you know, it, it was quite hard on us. Like at, at one point we were doing a palazzo in between rounds of creation mm -hmm. and uh, we were sitting on the top of the tent in the rain, like crying, wondering if we were going to quit, if we were going to break up barcode. Um, like, it, you know, we went through a lot. Like relationship wise, you mean between relationship you guys? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, it's a lot of pressure making a show and, and working in those close quarters and, and all those decisions and, and personalities and, you know, We'd been together for a long time and we ended up saying, yeah, we want to do this. And we, we went to see a therapist together and, oh, and, we, wow. together, and we worked through it and, you know, we made the show. And then uh, I went on to make Branche, another show with uh, in collaboration with Acting for Climate. Mm -hmm. and, uh, when I went to start making that second show, I was really aware of the responsibility that I had because we were hiring other artists. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't just barcode. Um, that we kind of, you know, we knew each other at that point. We were going to bring other people in and I didn't want it to be a mess. I didn't want it to be a, a shit show, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so I really was reflecting, like, how can we improve on this process of making the show and, and how do other people do it? Like, I don't feel super qualified um, compared to all these other amazing creators. And I started just asking around and, and every project we went on from then on, I started examining the process and saying, okay, like, what's working here, what's not working here, how did they get funding, how do they bring the team together, how do they, you know, make it all happen. Um, and slowly, I was going to amass into some sort of blog or ebook or something. Uh, and I just started talking to more and more people and just really going in depth about how all these different creators do it. And especially feeling big imposter syndrome, you know, and I was <laughs> decided to compensate for that by interviewing yeah. as many people as possible. But you know, that's a good sign. Well, that, that's good because I think I'm addicted to that feeling <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just always doing things I don't know how to do, but I love it. That's how you grow, you know? Yeah, that's but for sure. It's, it's not a stress-free way to live, but I'd rather be in that feeling than bored, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I just started uh, interviewing as many people as I could. I talked to the the Seven Fingers. I talked to people from Gum and Circular Who, and uh, just all around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and started collecting tips and and hearing what similarities there were. Mm -hmm. And pretty much everyone I talked to said, you know, we almost lost our friends or lost a lot of money or both. Mm -hmm. All learned the hard way, basically. And I was like, mm -hmm. this is crazy. Like these are all some of the biggest names in circus and some of the most talented people I know. Mm -hmm. And they all said it was a very crazy process. And I was like, it can't be like this for everybody forever. You know, like I have yeah. to, I want to take all this advice and, and put it somewhere to just take a few roadblocks out of the way for people, mm -hmm. you know, and, and put it into a book. And for the price of a beer or two, you get to sit down with like all of these amazing creators and hear all of their best advice and stories. and like just skip all the parts where they talk about their dog or something, you know, it's mm -hmm. like just the good stuff. So whenever I saw something that lots of people were saying, Oh, someone in Australia says this uh, bromance over there in, in England is saying the same thing. I would start to connect the dots. Like, okay, that's something that everyone agrees is a good process, you know, or a good uh, thing to have in your creation. Did you find a lot of similarities between all the people from different countries, different size production? Yeah, it's a balance between those things. Whenever I heard the same thing a few times, I was like, for sure, I have to include that because a lot of people agreed that that was something that was useful to them or made their lives easier or, you know, helped them find money or whatever it was. Um, but I also didn't want to be too prejudiced because I know not everyone thinks like I am. And I want to to give those multiple ways of working and methods to, to people that might just see the world a different way um, mm -hmm. or enjoy a dis different aspect than I do. So I tried to strike a balance between saying, you know, this is something a lot of people are saying that, that I also would recommend that I've personally seen, 
but you know, here's also some other methods. Um, and, and if one resonates more with your personality or with your team's dynamic, uh, then maybe that's the way to go for you. Mm -hmm. And did you find an editor right away? Did you write everything on your own or do you have someone helping you? Yeah. Writing a book is a lot like making a show. Like it takes a team. Um, and even a solo show, you're going to need a team, you know, lights and sound and, and production and maybe an outside eye. People think it, it's just the one person on stage, but a show is, is just the tip of the iceberg of what it takes to make a show. It's just the fingernail on, this is a Chris Lashua. I just talked to him last week is what mm -hmm. he was saying from a uh, certain mechanics. Yeah. It's just the, the finger on the body of what it takes to make a show. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I did was I wrote the whole first draft. And then I was sitting with, uh, with Kim Campbell. They were they're the founders. They worked for Circus Talk for mm -hmm. a long time. Um, and we, we just sat down for coffee because I was in Chicago with Midnight Circus and just catching up. And they said randomly, oh, hey, by the way, I'm an editor, so I'm doing some more of that and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no way. You're an editor that has a background in circus and knows the international circus scene. Do you want to look at my book? And they said, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And they looked it over and they, they suggested a couple of things. And they said, hey, if you want to work together, we can make this happen. And I know about myself that I'm very, I, I get shiny object syndrome. Well, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll start something new and then start the next thing. And mm -hmm. I need someone behind me supporting me to make sure I see it through. Mm -hmm. And so having that, that responsibility of an editor that was constantly coming back to me saying, okay, we're meeting next month. Um, let's change this. Let's change that. Okay, we need to get another interview for this section because I think, this section needs a little bit more to, mm -hmm. to, to feel really thorough um, was amazing. And they've been working with me for a year. And now finally we brought on Tom wall of modern vaudeville productions. I worked with Tom for many years on totem. Yeah. He is a good friend. On totem. Yeah. yeah. So also a circus guy juggler yeah. for circus Soleil that has started a book publishing company mm -hmm. and wrote, written a couple of books and has been on NPR talking about them and kind of knows the, the landscape there. And we were talking about it and, I was wondering, do I need a, a publisher? You know, I could just publish on Amazon or something and keep all the profits, blah, blah, blah. And he started talking to me about IBAN numbers. And, and yeah, I, I've never heard of IBAN numbers either. And I was like, <laughs> there's no way I want to learn this whole thing. And I would rather have, well, if I've learned anything from making shows, is that I would rather have a fun process and make something I'm really proud of than worry about money. Yeah. Um, obviously, you have to worry about money to get stuff funded and to pay your artists mm -hmm. and Etc. But I think what's been great about this whole process is just surrounding myself with these incredibly talented people that help me produce something better than what I've what I'm capable of alone, as we saw from the first draft. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's been huge having those two on board. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really thankful to, to have them. That's been a great lesson and a great culmination of all of these creations that I've done so far. It's amazing. It looks like you used all the experience you had in creation to create something also again outside of your comfort zone that's about creation too yeah oh the, the whole time i was writing this book people were giving me tips and i was like oh that's so good you know i was telling the <laughs> making for all and i just immediately incorporate stuff into our creation <laughs> or at one point i'm writing the book right and someone recommends hey you know call the grant board just call them up and say if you're applying for a grant, hey, am I eligible for this? Like, does this sound like something you guys would want to support? And I was trying to get a grant to write this book and I'd already written the entire grant application. And then I was like, oh, maybe I should take this person's advice and call them up. And they're like, oh no, we don't support education books. Just flat out, not in our mission. Mm -hmm. so like, be um, I could have and saved like, myself a little bit more time. <laughs> yeah, which I just saved myself that five hours of writing that grant or 10 or whatever it was. And I was like, this is why I'm writing the book, you know? Because someone else is going to read this. And I'm going to save them that time. Like if I save people just one speed bump along the way, it's going yeah. to be worth it by so much, you know? Yeah, like, for sure. You think that the price of a book compared to what you spend in terms of time and money investment, oh, making oh, a show. Energy and all the white hair you're going to get from that also. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. Like anything you can do to avoid some of those obstacles is just a good idea. Speaking from a lot of experience, <laughs> not just to promote my book, which I'm obviously also trying to do, yeah. but- you know, I just want more people to get out there and make good art and not get, mm. not get stuck in, in all the, the difficulties that come with making good art, all the logistics and all the stuff that probably as a circus artist isn't your strong suit. Um, mm. So it's really the, the focus of the book is showing what like everything surrounding that, um, that you're going to have to learn or figure out how to bring on a team for. Yeah, it's amazing. And so when is your book coming out exactly? 
Yeah, so it's coming out in July is our uh, scheduled publishing date. Um, I think right now, if you go onto modernvaudevillepress.com slash contemporary, we've put a mm-hmm. temporary uh, mailing list up. So if you just want to hop mm-hmm. on there and, and do a pre-order, I don't think it's a pre-order, but at least you'll get notified when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but we'll have something there if if you go to modernvaudevillepress.com slash contemporary. And uh, what's the title of your book? Yeah, so right now the title, the working title has been How to Make a Show. Which is, uh, you know, pretty nuts and bolts for everyone. Basically, you know, how to make a, a circus dance computer show for everyone that doesn't want to learn the hard way. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're working on the title. If it's going to be like raising the curtain or pulling back the curtain or from dream to scene or you know whatever, mm-hmm. um, we're still working on the title at the moment. Okay. Because it is a combination of inspirational and instructional book. It's not mm-hmm. uh, it's not a memoir, for example. Mm-hmm. It's really about how to help people. Uh, bringing their dreams to life. Mm-hmm. Maybe it could be that. It could be inspiration and instruction, a guide to creating circus show. Nice. <laughs> oh, you royalties! Watch out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Once the book is out, are you guys planning on selling it pretty much everywhere? Can we find the book online? Yeah. So it's going to be online, and then we're all. It's also physical copies because I know some people uh, prefer physical to. Uh, digital copies but the good news is it's kind of, i think it's print on demand so it's not like we're gonna have a million books just sitting around it'll really just be uh when people order them that they get printed and shipped to them but also if you read on a, a kindle or something because you're on mm-hmm. tour and you don't want to carry 40 books around mm-hmm. uh, we'll also have the ebook version oh, amazing and are you planning on doing a, an audio version of you reading the book <laughs> maybe maybe i'll have you read it <laughs> With my thick French accent, no, that'll do the oh, trick. Oh, dude, people love <laughs> French accents. Before I let you go, I have one last question for you. If tomorrow aliens would land on Earth, how would you describe Cirque du Soleil to them? How would I describe Cirque du Soleil to aliens, man? Um, you know, actually, I'll, I'll be honest, I've, I've heard your podcast, so I've thought about this question a little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because that's a that's a hard one, but what I think is interesting about circus is that it doesn't make any sense to do, you know. But I think it's a good reflection of how humans are interested in in learning new things and love challenges. And I think that's how we've gotten to where we are as humanity. And circus is just like this oddball spinoff of that, that because we're just curious about everything. So I don't know. I, aliens would have a lot of questions, but uh, yeah, I, I would say it's. Uh, It, it's it's that it's like an example of human potential and and curiosity. Yes, pretty good. Abadou, thank you so much for coming, taking some of your time and coming and chatting with me. I'm sure the listener would be super curious to get into your book. And thank you for doing this because it's true that it's it's a daunting process. And I know personally people who have been wanted to do this but just never start because they say I don't know how to start I don't know what like grant thing I have no idea how to how to do so I'm sure that would be a huge tool for the just the international circus community and hopefully a lot of new arts and new creation will come out of this and it'd be thanks to your creative process and to your endeavor and that's I think that's amazing so thank you for all that Oh, thanks a lot. I mean, you two with the podcast showing people uh, kind of what's going on behind the scenes is, uh, I think it's important. I think a lot of people are curious about it. So I appreciate the work. I know what it takes to to do these things week after week. And- Thank you very much. Have a good day. I'll be checking out your books and I'll see you in Montreal or down the road sometimes. Awesome. All right. Take care. Pretty awesome right? I love that Eric is using his ability to create so much and in such different ways. And you know what? We all have this ability. We can all create. As Eric said, it can happen to feel a little bit of an imposter syndrome. But what matters the most is to try, to learn, and to keep going. It's now time for you to give Tapis Rouge a good rating and review. It's quick and it really helps the show more than you think. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CircusTalk.com or wherever you're getting your podcasts.
Now, my friends, that's it for today. I wish you a pleasant day. Take it easy. Big mad and toy 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 for having shows. And as we say in the circus, see you down the road.